Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. My guest is Geraldine Hakewell. She is part of a performance that's going on, a live reading streamed this 1st and 2nd of October this weekend with Critical Stages, a streaming of Tony Kushner's Homebody Kabul. It's set against the backdrop of Afghanistan under Taliban rule and it's pulling together an international cast to help raise funds for the on-ground relief to do something in the light of the recent terrors going on there. The play was written in 2001 and now 20 years on it's just as poignant and seeing 4,000, 400,000 Afghans fleeing their homes. Geraldine is an actor and you may have seen her on television in Wakefield or Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries or on the stage with of STC, Sydney Theatre Company, Belvoir, Darlinghurst and Bell Shakespeare to name a few in The Rise and Fall of Little Voice, Peter Pan, Dangerous Liaisons, The Real Thing, Macbeth, Chimerica, Platonov, Tartuffe and Bal, among others. She's here to talk with me about the play, reading and about her life on the stage. Welcome, Geraldine. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for coming out. And what a great thing. The arts are, are you know, pulling together to do a live reading to raise funds for charities and, and support um, of On the Ground Relief. And we'll come to that production. And I can't wait to talk about it. But before we do talk about Homebody Kabul, I want to get a sense of you as an actor. Now, I know that you were born in France. Tell me the circumstances around that and when you came to Australia. Yes, I was born in France and I can thank my parents who were working there at the time. They were both born in Australia and so were all my grandparents. So we had no connection to France aside from my father's work. And I think he has a, he's got a cousin who's living there, but um, none of my relatives are French. So I don't have a French passport, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but we were, uh, well, I was there in my mum's tummy, but we were there Um <laughs> And then I was born and we were in Paris itself for, I think, about nine months. And then we lived in Switzerland till I was four-ish. Mm. And then um, came to Australia via India where my parents were um, learning to meditate in an ashram. Oh. And then we arrived in Sydney, uh, moved to a suburb called Epping, which you <laughs> all know. And, um, and then I... Yeah, and then we moved to the North Shore and we've kind of been in Australia ever since. So it was a very um, cosmopolitan beginning and um, my poor, well, not poor brother, but my brother was born in Epping uh, and didn't have any of that excitement early on. So, uh, yeah, so I got I got the good bits from my Wikipedia page. <laughs> Do you have a memory of that kind of travelling? Yeah, I think my first memories are probably from that time. Actually, I think one of my first memories is theatre related um we were traveling through Spain myself and my parents and maybe grandparents I think had come to visit but we went to a flamenco show one night and I think it's possibly one of my first memories so I, w I would have been like two maybe almost three mm. and I remember I'd fallen asleep on this bench it was in a kind of circular auditorium almost like a, a, a tent I guess 
and I fell asleep on a bench and I woke up to the vibrations, I think, of the dancing. Wow. And I just had such a rush from watching this performance and the 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 passion in it I think like I I can kind of feel the visceral response that I had Mm. as a kid watching them dance and I've always loved flamenco since then and loved that kind of expression through dance and I studied it for like a hot second but was never very good at it but (laughs) it's very good for your arms it's really hard (laughs) and uh but I yeah I think that's one of my first memories so it's sort of not surprising that I became an actor after that I think (laughs) what did your parents do that took them around the world in that way my dad is a doctor, but he studied tropical medicine and he ended up working oh. for the UN, I think, in tropical disease management um, wow. and epidemiology, which has kind of come in handy wow. now. Yeah. Um, but he, and then working for the UN, he then started working for Médecins Sans Frontières, the Doctors Without Borders, and he, mm. um, and that's why we moved back to Australia. He started MSF uh, in Australia. So he came back to kind of start that office here and wow. he was traveling all the time. We were based in Europe, but he'd go off and I think he went to Africa while we were, while I was a baby. Mm. And yeah, so my mum was sort of there with me and learning French and um, <laughs> and she also worked. She'd studied, she'd done part of a medical degree and so she was kind of volunteering in different places as well. Mm. So I know that, you know, you're saying flamenco and it's not surprising that you came to theatre, but was there, with, 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 was it surprising for them? Like, was there, you know, kind of, no, you know, I don't very think different. So. No, really? I don't, yeah. no, I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't say I was outgoing because I was quite shy, but I was very much lost in my imagination as a kid. Like I would mm. spend hours by myself just talking to myself, <laughs> making up little worlds. I loved books. I I loved books. I think because I loved just losing myself in the the different world of each book. And I think that's part of why I I love being an actor is that you I get to do that for a living. You know, um, so I think really my love of my love of performing kind of came through my love of reading. And I think that's why I, you know I trained at Whopper and I I think theatre is sort of my first love and. I, there's such a connection between theatre and literature because I think theatre is such a text-based mm. medium, you know. It's about the, the language, um, whereas film and TV is much more visual, I think. And um, I love I love film. I've always, you know, that that's another reason why I wanted to be an actor. But I think theatre and I think it was Belle Shakespeare, seeing Belle Shakespeare plays when I was at school and having actors at work come to our school that really made me feel like it was something I might be able to do with my life. But I also went to a creative arts high school, so I had that door open for me there as well. But, my mm. yeah, my family's always been very supportive and always loved the arts and we went to lots of plays and musicals and it wasn't, right. you know, they, they have a medical kind of bent, I suppose, a lot of my family, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it wasn't surprising at all. <laughs> and the the ashram and the meditation sort of angle of it, I mean, I read somewhere that you actually use that a lot and I, I think it is part of the actor's way as well. I don't know, is there something that you use it in acting? Do, I mean, I'm assuming it, it followed on from them to you. Yeah, I I don't know. 
if I use it in my acting, but I suppose there's a level of concentration Mm. that I learned when I was a kid and sort of appreciate that. I mean, I really think meditating is just being in a flow state. And I know like a lot of creative people talk about being in a flow state when you're lost in what you're doing. It doesn't have to be a creative endeavor that you're lost in, but often I think it's linked to creativity when you, yeah, you lose track of time, you're focused, you're kind of present. And Mm. meditation is just being present with yourself. And when you're, I think, really present in your work, that's when you're in the best space to be be receptive and be open to the other actor and and give Mm. the most truthful performance. So um, I think having an understanding of that feeling is helpful and it's also a helpful tool too and I know you know a lot of oh gosh in the last 18 months two years I feel like (laughs) it's been really important for people to engage with this but it's a healthy Mm. way to let go of something at the end of a show or let go of anxiety before a show or yeah if if it's a it's a way of coming back to yourself Mm. I think it's been really helpful to have that in my life because it does feel like a a really positive tool for my work. But it's, I'm also really, I'm not disciplined with it at all. <laughs> uh, I should do it more than I do. I have I have the resource there. My mum is living with me at the moment. I could oh. be meditating with her all the time. But, um, yeah, I don't do it as much as I should. Mm-hmm. So it seems like out of Whopper you kind of got, straight to the main stage and uh is that how it feels for you was it kind of like a a natural kind of fast forward in a way oh yeah I suppose so I I felt very lucky I actually did some film work when I first came out and I didn't really get to do a play for a couple of years but oh um, right the first play I did was Under the Wharf in the ATYP space there mm. that a really good friend of mine directed. Um, I think that was the first one. Maybe it was Baal. Anyway, they happened very close together. So very quickly I ended up doing Baal, which was my first main stage show, which yeah. was um, Malthouse and STC. And it definitely felt like I kind of like got to jump that step. I was like hugely grateful for that. But that show also felt quite, it was pretty out there. <laughs> And it was a bunch of really young, young actors who were either new grads mm. or um, hadn't done heaps and heaps of main stage work. And so we were all kind of in this space together making something. So it, it felt like a lot of the indie shows that I have mm. done since then. Um, so it was a really nice intro into the big companies because mm. it sort of felt like we were making an indie show, but we had the support of the main stage. Yeah. And was that Simon Stone? It was yeah, funny, yeah, so it was a very exciting time, really. It was like a, a shift in directors in in the uh, I guess a younger voice, yeah, looking at works differently, adapting, adapting. You know, Simon was adapting Chekhov and Ibsen, and um, and this was a Brecht adaptation that he and Tom Wright did. Um, so yeah, looking at all these old classics through Mm. fresh eyes and finding the relevance for today and making them really immediate and that Mm. was so exciting to be a part of um Mm. 
so it was a wonderful it was a wonderful introduction and then I think I went from that to doing um dangerous liaisons which was again like a huge that was a huge step up because that was working with actors who I'd admired for such a long time so yeah um, wow yeah it was it was oh yeah I've been super super lucky <laughs> uh, I have no delusions about that I yeah I got to work with some amazing people very early on who are still very good friends and still give me advice and teach me so much so yeah mm. I was going to ask you know I often ask are there turning points but it sounds like we've just answered that were they kind of turning points in your career that like led you you know in a in a direction were, were there sliding doors could you have ended up somewhere completely different did you make a choice along the way that influenced your direction oh surely I mean I think every choice is a sliding door in a sense isn't it no matter how small mm. it seems mm. there were definitely opportunities where I could have perhaps stayed overseas or mm-hmm. you know chosen to do a a play instead of a theatre or film job or Sure. Um, or given up acting at one point. I think I mm. thought about, um, actually, weirdly, I thought about, it's kind of medical related, but I thought about <laughs> learning Chinese medicine and becoming an acupuncturist. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think whenever I had any gaps, I'd kind of freak out and go, okay, what am I going to, I need to be learning something all the time. And so mm. I'd often think, what am I going to learn? Are you still learning? Yeah, I'm doing a screenwriting course at the moment, so I'm kind of, pivoting within the industry to learn new things I've done a directing like a film directing course in the last year and stuff. I actually had started using a maths app as well because maths was always something that I was really scared of at school I just my brain didn't naturally sit in a place where it made sense to me and I admire people where it does and I I've been watching a lot of um eight out of ten cats does countdown which is making me very happy and I was like God damn it, I'm going to learn. I need to learn how to do fast math. So I found this really great app and I've been doing that. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm just someone who has to have something going on all the time and it usually ends up being like 10 things, which isn't very good for um, mm. an anxious personality, but it's just the way that I am. Um, yeah. So was it Peter Pan that took you overseas and why did you come back? Why didn't, did you, was there a moment that you decided to come back? Yeah, um, I actually went before I did Peter Pan. I just went on a little trip to LA and and then after Peter Pan, I stayed there for a bit longer. Um, we did Peter Pan um, on Broadway, actually. Wow. How was that? How was that to oh, It was so fun. It was mm. so fun. It was just such a great group of actors that we were working with. We just had such a good time and we were in New York and we got, you know, we weren't there for very long, but. We just got to hang out in New York and do a play. I mean, it's like mm. everything you dream of when you start doing theatre. So it yeah. was great and it was such a beautiful production. And then I came back because I, well, I got broke and I really needed <laughs> to come back and work and I didn't have mm. a green card, so I couldn't stay there for a re- forever. Mm. And then uh, I think quite soon after that I got this TV show, Wanted. I got this lead role in this show and I thought, well, I haven't played a lead role on TV before. If I'm going to work anywhere else in the world, it would be great to have, like, 
it would be really important to have this experience and mm. it was such a great script and I loved the character so much and then that led to another job and another job. <laughs> I, I think I also, um, particularly in the last two years, I've sort of really felt like I wanted to be in Australia. But um, mm. And also I'm really passionate about telling our stories and finding a way to to celebrate Australian stories and I think that's really important. I think we sort of have this embarrassment of our own identity mm. and I don't think we fully come to terms with it in some ways and we're just starting to have those conversations and I think it's really, you know, as I sort of have more experience and work more and have more doors open, I, I want to be able to facilitate doors opening for other people and when I started feeling like I could do that and maybe start producing stuff and that that was sort of in the the near horizon it felt important to follow that rather than just running off somewhere else and starting from scratch but I'd never say never to anything who knows what will happen I think uh, I can't remember who it was if it was Wesley Enoch or someone else who said that the cultural cringe is still very much alive it's just not us and the world it's us and ourselves now that we're um kind of you know still dealing with and I think that's really really apt let's talk about homebody Kabul so what's going on I know it's live reading it's a, a zoom Facebook and YouTube is how I understand it. But tell me about the play. Now, it was written, obviously, in 2001. It was written just before September mm. 11, 2001, which is Incredible. wild when you actually read it and hear it because yeah. it's so prophetic. But Tony Krishna talks about the fact that, well, if you're writing about what's happening in the world, <laughs> then, of course, it's going to be responsive to yeah. what's happening in the world. And, you yeah. know, he wasn't, like, pulling these ideas from out of thin air. It was very much in response to what was happening politically mm. at the time. And so, yeah, he was just following the trail of breadcrumbs. And it's a really expansive play. It, basically, the kind of slimline version of the story is... <laughs> yeah. uh, a woman who we meet at the beginning of the play who does this long monologue about her love of Afghanistan, talking, of, she's sort of reading this very out-of-date um, travel book, mm. uh, like a travel guide, and she talks about her love of the place. And then we meet her family soon after that, and they've gone to Kabul because she's been killed. She's gone there. The woman has gone there and her husband and her daughter go to find her and recover her body, basically. Oh. But in the process of looking for her, the daughter um, speaks to a bunch of locals and finds out that perhaps her mother's still alive, that she's actually in hiding and she's married a Muslim man and is living in, as his wife. And so she's trying to kind of find her mother whilst also discovering the city through the eyes of the people that she meets and um it's a bit of a love letter to Kabul but uh, we were talking about it today in rehearsals it's a heartbreaking love letter because mm. there's so much pain there um and it's particularly resonant at the moment which is why we're doing the reading but you know some of the um Afghani actors who are in the play were saying how it feels like it could have been written a week ago, right. um, which just speaks to the kind of the reprisal of history and the cyclical nature of things. But it, it's Tony Krishna who wrote Angels in America 
it's similarly epic and heartbreaking and the language is incredible Mm. and there's a lot in it about language and how people communicate and miscommunicate and yeah he's just the most extraordinary playwright and it's a real pleasure to work on it and and dissect it and I think it will be really lovely to listen to it's a really amazing group of actors and Mm. and it's for a really great cause as well um the tickets are free but you can donate when you sign up for the event right registration you can donate there are two charities yeah there is women for afghan women yeah which is a new york and kabul based organization and then the australian based maboba's promise um, yeah which actually i think they just managed to get 10 orphans out of afghanistan in the last week i think Mm. with some people who work for the organization and their families so there's about i think there's about 17 people who managed to get out um, which is really amazing. So mm. they're doing incredible work. So the, the donations will go to those two charities. Yeah, but I think it's also just a nice excuse for people to listen to a play as well. And, you know, doing these live recordings, whether it's for a charity or or um, just for an audience, you know, it's a great way to keep theatre actors employed and theatre professionals employed. And I just wish we did it more. <laughs> um, you know, the UK have been doing it quite a lot. Mm. So how is it working? I know you've got an international cast, if I'm reading correctly. And tell me about that, um, you know, the homebody Kabul and this sort of, is it giving you, a, giving us as an insight because it's, coming in from a, I guess a, it's a white woman, right, who has never been there and only knows the outside world from books and that kind of line between innocence or ignorance? Yes. I, yes. I think it. Um, he's very much exploring the West, both innocence and ignorance to, of the place of Afghanistan and the people. Mm. Um, I think the family that, that go there, you are sort of seeing it through their eyes, but, all the other Afghani characters are just as important and complex. Of and course, yeah, yeah. For for a white man writing about a place that he is not mm. from, it does feel like it gives a really well-rounded view, I suppose. And and I would say that, the, you know, we were exploring today, my character isn't particularly, she's really hard and brittle, I suppose, and... The white characters in it are not the there's an, the English family. They're not hugely sympathetic, <laughs> um, and I, I think it's been really interesting sort of working out that line because we have to sort of connect to the audience, but they're also um, very much representative of the ignorance, uh, the prejudice, and the kind of closed mindedness. But but they do open and able to experience Kabul through the people that they meet. Um, mm. Tony Krishner is so good at examining things in such detail and and researching and being completely ruthless with how he explores a, an idea. Mm. And, it, you know, similarly, as he did with Angels in America, it feels kind of very big and <laughs> mystical almost, but then comes back to these very small human-to-human interactions. Mm. You know, Angels in America is such an empathetic piece and I think he just is naturally an empathetic 
writer, he's very cerebral and can bring these really big ideas to the stage, but he's always coming from a place of love and, uh, you know, trying to really interrogate these relationships of these flawed people. Is it is it going into the politics or, or you know, um, how does it reflect now in the state of affairs that are going on? Uh, yeah, it goes into the politics a lot yeah. and, you know, is really exploring particularly talking about the plight of women there, which is very uh, obviously very relevant um, yeah. at the moment. And, you know, mm. it's the, the kind of catalyst for the story is a white woman going into Kabul and being killed mm. by Taliban for uh, listening to music. And, right. you know, that's what we're kind of presented with is what happens. But then it becomes clear that perhaps something else <laughs> went down or didn't. Who knows? But, um, you know, the, the daughter is trying to work out what actually happened to her mother. But that's sort of what they are presented with at the start of the play. Um, and that she was brutally murdered. Um, mm. And then we meet an Afghani woman who, about halfway through the play, we meet her who is sort of, she is going to switch places with Priscilla, the character I play, with her mother and sort of come back to London. She's trying to escape and she has a pretty amazing speech mm. about all the women that she knows in her life who have died either by the Taliban hand or by their own hand. And, mm. um, yeah, I, mm. I, I mean, it's, it's, brutal but it's very factual and um mm. yeah it feels like I mean if you've been watching the news over, over the past few weeks it's exactly what people in Afghanistan have been saying they're afraid of happening and and we know that it has been happening and mm. it's devastating that this play is still relevant I think it's completely devastating and it shouldn't be, but it is. Mm. And it's complex. You know, mm. the whole situation is complex mm. and not the fault of any one party, I think, is what the play is exploring, the the responsibility of multiple countries mm. and multiple ideologies and and how we've all let each other down and let the people of Afghanistan down. No quick answer and, yeah, incredibly important. Yeah support as much in any way that we can talking about music how is it is it it's basically a reading is there music or is there kind of sound or is it straight so um Jethro Woodward who did the sound design for the original production because this is a remounting of a show that happened in 2004 I think yeah. Um, maybe a bit later, mm. um, which I wasn't part of. About half the cast were in the original. And oh, great. Yeah. And so Jethro, who did the sound design for that production, is layering that in through this reading. And it is a reading, but um, we'll be acting our little hearts out <laughs> uh, with our scripts in hand. <laughs> and it's over two nights. It's a reading. But there is, mm. it's over two nights. It's a long play. I mean, yeah. like Angels in America is really long and this is he loves a long play clearly mm. um so it's a lot it's long it's not as long as angels in america but um yeah it's long uh so we thought we'd do it over two nights because it's you know it's it's good when you're just at home and you're watching something on the computer yeah. it's kind of easier i think to digest it in that way 
did you make a choice not to take up singing or, you know, dedicate? Was it something that, that you considered doing? Because I listened to some of your tracks and I'll play one at the end if, if I have time, which I just loved. I do. Yeah, I do. And I've sung a bit in my work. Like I often try and find a way to pop a song in <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know why I didn't choose to be a singer. I think I just enjoyed acting more I enjoyed language and stories more mm. but it's still really important to me and um, a really important part of my life I mean music is so therapeutic and healing and yeah and I just don't know what I do without it mm. and um, yes yeah, I mean thinking about it in terms of display and in terms of the Taliban banning music that yeah um, I can't imagine living without music I feel mm. like it's the best thing that we've done as human beings you know we mm. fuck up a lot of other stuff but that <laughs> is one of the best things that we've created and um, so it's really important to me but yeah I'm not sure why I didn't become a musician but it's never too late <laughs> <laughs> well it looks like you're doing all of it anyway Geraldine Hakewell thank you so much Thanks so much, Regina. Well, that was Geraldine Hakewell, and she is in Homebody Kabul, which is under critical stages of production this weekend, the 1st and 2nd of October. Such a great cause for two charities. They are raising funds. You can watch it for free, but also if you feel in a position to um, also donate money as well as your time, Look, it's such an important play. I can't wait to watch it. But if you are able to donate some money as well, the money is going to Women for Afghan Women and Mahoba's Promise, uh, both not-profit organisations raising funds for Afghans getting out of Kabul or out of Afghanistan. 